Amen. I want you to remain standing, and I want you to understand if you're a guest here today, our children do have somewhere to go. So you'll see uh, Bethany. She's here at the front. And uh, Bethany will take care of your children, watch over them. We promise not to lose them. But they'll probably be a lot happier in uh, Children's Church than they would be listening to me. So, um, but anyway, um, and while children are making their way to their uh, worship, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of James. The book of James. It's over in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there in the in the seat in front of you, and you are welcome. I know the family that gave those Bibles, and they said anyone that needs a Bible, feel free to take that with you when you leave. Uh, James chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. We've been looking through the book of James, and uh, James is a very practical book, and today I've titled the message, and I want you to listen closely, The Horror of Prejudice. Now, I don't know about you, but this is an issue that they faced 2,000 years ago. It's an issue that we face today. I want you to look this way. It will be an issue that we will not face in heaven. And so I want you to listen closely. Put your spiritual antennas up real high. Now, in James chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, James says, My brother, as believers, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, do not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in and you give him no attention. You say to the rich man, the affluent man, the man wearing good clothes, if uh, you sit here, this good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil faults. Verse 5, listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Now look at verse 9. But if you show favoritism, you may have respect of persons, discrimination, prejudice. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And all God's people said, amen. You can be seated. Years ago, I was in a large metro church, and I was sitting in the congregation. And during the invitation, there were two men that came forward. One man came forward. I knew him. He was just a 
plain-dressed man. He was a working man, a blue-collar man. He came down that aisle. He was giving his life to Christ. He was making a profession of faith. Man, I was excited. I had personally shared Christ with him. I was, I was excited about his decision. In a few moments, the pastor asked his family to come and stand. But during the same invitation, another man came, and he was a doctor. And he was a prominent doctor. Everybody knew his name. And he came down that aisle, and he was moving his membership with his family. And I will never forget, as I watched that scene, here was this man. He was just a common man, a working man. He worked in a local retail business there with his family. Here was this prominent doctor in the community with his family. And the preferential treatment between the two, was it was literally embarrassing to me. It broke my heart. And I said, God, what a sad picture of the heart of Christ. I was watching, I've been sick a little bit this week, I was watching Highway to Heaven, and it was an episode in which, uh, it was in, in which uh, Michael Landon, he, you know, he plays this angel, Highway to Heaven, it's, a, it's about a high school reunion, and it's been like 30 or 40, maybe 40 years later, maybe 50, and in this high school reunion, all these people are coming back, and you can tell that old high school spirit is still there. They're being judged by the clothes they wear, the car they drive, the education that they have, the job that they hold, the academic de degrees that they have. You could just see that kind of favoritism as people kind of played that same high school game. You know, in the Deep South, we're notorious for this aristocratic class structure, aren't we? I remember when I lived in Yazoo County up in the hills, we had come from Titusville, Florida. My dad was an engineer for NASA. And we had moved to Yazoo City. We're living out in a half-finished house. My dad had left his job at NASA. Things were very hard, very tight. We didn't have a lot. I remember riding the bus for the first time. I'd never rode a bus, I don't guess. Couldn't remember. And I remember going into Yazoo City, into the school system, into that junior high school system, and immediately feeling as if I was being judged by the clothes that I wore, shoes that I put on, coming on the bus, and everything was about favoritism, judgment. You know, the reality is, is that no one is immune. No one is, no one is immune. Even as you get older, I've, I've learned this. You know, as you get older, you feel marginalized. You feel insignificant. Sometimes you feel as if you're used and discarded. My wife works in a doctor's office, and sometimes she comes home and she cries over how grown children will speak to an elderly parent. You know, the reality is, is favoritism is a way of life. Now, we looked last week, and uh, probably for many of you, you were not here, but I want you to look at James chapter 1, verse 26. Because James is talking about what it means to be a true Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. And he gives certain tests or clues or indicators. In verse 26, he says, If anyone considers himself religious that is Christian, 
and yet does not keep a tight rein on his what? On his tongue, he does what? He deceives himself, and his religion in the eyes of God is what? It's worthless. In other words, James says, if you want to know whether a man or a woman is truly saved, you hang around them a little while, you listen to what they say, what's coming out of their mouth, because out of the heart the mouth speaketh, right? In fact, the Bible says this, that the heart is the wellspring. In other words, this mouth is just kind of what comes, what comes out of this mouth is what's coming out of the heart. You want to know whether somebody's saved, just listen to how they talk. That's one indicator. Secondly, look at verse 27. He said, religion that God our Father... Now, he talked about worthless religion, but then he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, secondly, he says, if you want to know whether a man or woman's saved, you watch how merciful they are to people who are downtrodden. You get a good indication. You know, the word there, orphan, means abandoned. It means fatherless in the Old Testament. A widow. It was those people that were seen as defenseless, and they had no provision. They had no uh, protection. You know, the Bible's very clear here about how important those people are. And then thirdly, look what he goes on to say. The third indicator is a person who keeps themselves from being polluted by the world. In other words, they live their life above the contaminant of the world. I wrote this down, listen to it. Said so too many Christians, too many professing Christians are sleeping with the enemy. They've compromised spiritual principles for convenience, for acceptance, for money, for popularity, for pleasure. For the world stuff. Now let me tell you, one of the hardest things as a believer, as a follower of Christ, even as a pastor, is to try to keep yourself pure and holy. You know, the Bible said, be ye holy. God said, even as I'm holy. But it's hard to do, isn't it? I want you to take from James, I want you to go back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 and I want to give you a little insight to what your pastor does. This verse haunts me. Because, see, I'm like any of you. I battle with the enemy. But in, and for some reason, my pages are stuck together. In Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 24, now watch this. Men, I want you to listen closely when the enemy's pounding at you with whatever temptation that may be. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. Now watch this. Rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Ever since I've read that verse, that reminds me, because every day of my life I'm making choices. So James says here, this is a man that lives above the contaminant of the world. You ever watched a bride? 45 years ago, Sheila and I married. We've been married 45 years. 3 o'clock this afternoon will be exactly 45 years. I looked at her. I looked at her and said uh, last night, she was sitting over there. I said, did you think we'd make it? She said, of course I did. She said, what about you? <laughs> but you know, I can remember that little country church 45 years ago watching her. And let me tell you one thing about Sheila. 
When it came time, when it came to her dress, when it came to that wedding dress, and let me tell you, my mother-in-law, we had a, we had a disagreement over her wedding dress. You see, when I met my wife, she was, an, she was a 19-year-old widow. She was dating at 14, married at 16. At 18 years of age, her husband, who was dealing in drugs, was murdered because he held on to some money. When I met her in college, I had no idea when I introduced myself to her that she was a widow, when she began to tell me her story. My mother-in-law made her dress, and I wanted it white. My mother-in-law said, that's not tradition. She's been married before. She cannot wear white. And my mother-in-law made her dress, and it was off-white. And I thought to myself, I know no pure, no pure person on this earth than my wife. But let me tell you about her dress. She, when she would walk, she gathered up that. You ever seen a, you ever seen a person in a wedding gown? You ever see women in a wedding gown? All you ladies, you know what I'm talking about. What do you do? You gather up that wedding gown. You hold it up near your heart. And you walk around and you cradle it because you don't want it what? You don't want it dirty. James said, listen, if you want to know whether a man or woman is truly saved, they're the person, they just kind of gather up their life and they walk through this life through the contaminant without becoming contaminated. They're just kind of holding it dear to them. And boy, that's important, isn't it? Well, then we move to chapter 2. Look at chapter 2. Because in chapter 2, verse 1, James gives us a clear indicator as to whether a man or woman is saved. And it's simply this. They are a man or a woman who judges people not based on anything external. In other words, a clear indicator of true salvation is a heart that lacks prejudice. It refuses to judge people based on prejudice, a predisposition, a judging of somebody else based on something external. In fact, look at James chapter 2, verse 9. James said this, but if you show favoritism, prejudice, you sin. Now, everybody stop right there. Let me tell you. Prejudice, prejudging. You remember the great statement by Martin Luther King, Jr.? When Dr. King said he longed for a day when his children would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by what? The content of their character. You see, prejudice is a sin. In fact, James said this, he said, when you and I are prejudiced, he said that's a good indication that there's something seriously wrong in the heart. The Amplified Bible says it this way. It says, My fellow believers, do not practice your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of partiality toward people. Show no favoritism, no prejudice, no snobbery. The word there in the Greek is to lift up one's face. You know, Paul would often say, I beseech. You know what beseech is? I beseech is this, parakaleo, I beseech. This is when a man's down and you get down there with him and you lock your eyes with him and you say, listen, let's stand up. Come on, 
Come on, come on. You're lifting, you're lifting his face. You're lifting him up. Whatever situation, whatever's going on in his life, you're lifting him up. That's what it means. But you know what prejudice is? You're pushing him down. You're pushing him down. Let me tell you something about people. We're either lifting people up or we're pushing them down. We're either encouraging them, building them up, strengthening them, or we're pushing them down. A moment ago, I looked at little Mikey. Man, I just, I just, here he is, skin and bones. <laughs> but he's looking stronger. And I looked at him, and Mikey's sitting there, and he's just shaking because the water's cold. <laughs> And he's just a shaking. I don't know if it was a little bit of fear. I don't know what it is, but I was looking at Mikey and saying, Mikey, I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. And Mikey, we're going to baptize you first. You're going to be an example to all the others. You see, he's been battling a disease. But my friend, through the grace of God, he's getting victory. And that's the power of Christ. When I look at somebody like Mikey and I think about prejudice, racism, oh, it just does not, first of all, it doesn't make any sense at all. And this is what the writer was saying here. He said, listen, prejudice, favoritism, respect a person, partiality. He said, it's a sin. I don't know about you, I want you to listen. I can't live in sin for very long. I'm not going to tell you that I don't sin. I'm going to tell you I don't enjoy it when I do it. Because the convicting of the Holy Spirit, the quenching and the grieving of God's Holy Spirit weighs so heavy on me, I think, oh God, please don't never let me do that again. But if you and I can live in habitual, willful sin without the conviction of God's Holy Spirit. In other words, we have prejudice and hatred and racism and that bigotry in our heart and it just consumes our heart and it holds our heart. Then we have to, as James said, we have to ask the question, are we really, really, truly saved at all? And so what happens is, one writer said this, he said, Christians can never excuse bigotry or racism. But it's sad to say that sometimes we justify prejudice. We excuse it. We make allowances for it. We, we think there's some exception on our behalf, and there's not. You know, Jesus was reckless in his love. He loved with an abandonment. You know, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. When the Roman soldier would stop and say to a citizen uh, who would, would be forced by law to carry the Roman soldier's equipment one mile, he said, go a second mile. He said, when someone came to you in authority and they took your jacket, he said, give them your cloak also. Give them whatever they wanted. He said, aggressively, recklessly, love with an abandonment. Because listen to me. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says this, love never fails. You want to stump your enemy? You want to stump somebody's filled with racism and bigotry and, and, and prejudice? You just love them like Jesus loved them. And they can't handle it. They can't handle it. They don't know what to do. 
I've lived my life fighting this battle. I want you to look this way. I don't believe the N-word has ever come out of the lips of this mouth. My kids went through times when they went through great heartache because of the stand of their dad on racial issues. There were times when my wife called my dad and said, I'm worried for his life. My daughter, who's a pediatric dentist and goes to Natchez, the deacon, a deacon that she went to visit, said, Amy, you had no idea, but your life of your dad and your life and the life of his family was in danger for his stand. I, I've spent my life believing that when Jesus Christ comes to live in the heart of a man or a woman, they just can't hate. Just can't do it. And this is what, you know, this is what even Jesus' enemies said. In Matthew, we don't have time to go there, but Jesus said to his enemies, I mean, his enemies said of Jesus, they said, you show no respect of person. You treat everybody the same. Hey, it doesn't matter whether it's a virgin or a whore. You treat them the same. It doesn't matter whether it's a political leader or a leper who was to stand 180 feet away and go, unclean, unclean, and Jesus wraps his arm around the leper and loves him. When he had to go to Samaria, no Jew went through Samaria. They do what they do in this town. They go around communities. You know what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, I must needs go through Samaria. And he stopped and he talked to a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 and her life was forever changed. And that woman, though the bigotry and the racism of the Jewish people toward the Samaritan had kept her in bondage, had five husbands and the man she was living with was not her husband. That woman's converted to Christ and goes and brings the whole city back. And I love what it says. When he, she went into the city, it said she told the man, told the men, come see a man that's told me everything I've ever done. And buddy, those men in that city, man, they got up and came out there because I think they were worried. A bunch of them been sleeping with her. I love Jesus. You know why Jesus hates prejudice and bigotry and racism? Because it brings division. You see, that's what happened in heaven, isn't it? Lucifer, the light bearer, Diabolos, the devil, Satan. Pride entered his heart, and you know what he did? He divided heaven. Do you know what Satan did in the Garden of Eden? He divided Adam and Eve from God. He divided Adam and Eve from each other. And he's been dividing ever since. Because you know what the great danger is when the ecclesia, the church, ekkaleo, you and I, when we come together and we are united, we are a formidable foe. That kind of love. But you know what the problem is? And I wrote it down here. We want to love a very narrow, homogenous group of people. People who look like us 
have the same social status as us, same education as us, dress like us, drive like us. And church is no different. Church ought to look like heaven, shouldn't it? You know, I was asked one time in a meeting years and years ago, back before uh, New Horizon, when New Horizon was in their old location, uh, I was meeting with Ronnie Crudup, um, um, Wilson, uh, Pastor Wilson here at Southside Assembly. We were all meeting together, and we were talking about this was this was probably this was probably 25 years ago, or not, maybe almost 25 years ago, nearly a quarter of a century ago. We were talking about churches moving forward in this community. And the conversation became if we could just get uh, some di racial diversity, if we could just get black and white diversity. And he kept talking. Finally, I stopped and said, Whoa, I said, I don't care nothing about racial diversity. I don't want a, a black man or a black woman in a white congregation or a white member in a black congregation. I said, It's not about that. I can tell you what it's about. Russell, come, come here and shake your hand like you do in the hood. I want the hood to come out in you. I want you to shake a hand like an African-American man. Oh, let me tell you something. Do you know the security that comes to me when an African-American, a black man, sees me? Do you know what Daniel, you tell Daniel, you tell your uncle this, when Daniel worked at Arnhorse Grail, it could be as crowded and packed as ever. When I walked into Arn, Arnhorse Grail, man, there's a lot of the upper echelon business people there, but Daniel would see me, and what would he do? He, listen, you can't quite do it like Uncle Daniel, buddy. He would pop that hand. It would sound like a rifle going off in that place, and he had hugged my neck, and in that moment I knew let me tell you something let me tell you why we don't want prejudice and why we want racial diversity we want the church to look like what it does in heaven and I need my brother to help me learn what he knows so well how to love another man because sometimes my people don't do a very good job of it I won't keep you up here brother He's one of our deacons, and he'll, he probably was looking at me like, you're getting ready to end, aren't you? <laughs> I wrote this down, and we'll close in a moment, but limited love is no love at all, is it? Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He said, love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. You wrap it up carefully around hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be safe from all dangers and, and perturbations of love is hell. 
C.S. Lewis said, the love is to be vulnerable. I saw a shy, skinny girl in college, two seats behind me, who was hiding behind her hair in adolescent psychology. But in November 1996, I fell in love with her and married her in 1978. Some have prejudicial love. We love who we want to love. I didn't want to fall in love. Shoot straight. I wanted a virgin. And every man knows what I'm talking about here. I didn't want someone who'd been married before. I didn't want anybody with baggage. I wanted somebody who had, whoa. And there I was telling God, you know, one night, I remember I was about 200 pounds, played physically in great shape. I remember being so upset leaving her home in Canton that I got angry and I got out and I was taking my fist and I was, be I was a paramedic at the time. I was beating my fist into the side of my vehicle. And I had so much anger in me. Can police officers stop? And it was a friend of mine because I ran some emergencies in that area. I said, man, are you all right? I said, well, life just kind of threw me a twist, man. I said, I'm in love with a girl. And he said, well, who is it? I said, well, is Sheila? And I, you'll never hear me. This is her name from her previous marriage. Sheila Atkinson. And, I, and he said, Sheila, he said, Sheila Tucker? That's her maiden name. He said, oh, man, that's a good girl. I told God what I wanted to love. God said, I've got something a lot better than that. You know what the reality is, is that for some of us in this room, we love the people that we want to love. And that's the problem. People do that with the homeless. I, well, I give them a dollar. How do I know they won't go down there and buy a beer with it? Well, first of all, the last time I checked, beer was more than a dollar. But let me tell you, do you know who's on trial when a homeless person is standing by your window? You are. Your heart is. You may say, well, I didn't have time to stop. I couldn't stop. That's all right. But did you want to at all? Did it hurt? You see, the reality is, this is what James is saying. I wrote this down. The most dangerous situation you and I face, listen to this, is Jesus Christ in a form that we're prejudiced toward. Have you ever noticed in Matthew 25 of the judgment, Jesus does this great white throne judgment. You know what he does? He says, um, so when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, 
you didn't give me to drink. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. When I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. And you know what, the, you know what this person does? This is, this is this person standing before the judgment. Of God. Lord, when were you hungry and thirsty and naked and a stranger? And, and when were you? And the Lord said, when you did not do it to the least of these, my brethren, you did not do it to me. My belief is that for many who will die and one day go to hell, because he that loveth not knoweth not God, he that hates his brother dwells in darkness, prejudice, racism, bigotry, favoritism, respect a person is a sin and it's unexcusable. You know, I, I close with this, and we can read on down. You know, he tells this story. He tells this story. He, 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 get, he, he put real quickly gives this picture. He says, you're in the assembly, in the, in the church, and a, and a, and a gold-fingered man comes in. And he's got, gold, he's got gold rings on every finger. And he comes in. Because this, Jews actually had rental places where you could rent a ring. He comes in with rings on every finger. He's got flashy clothes. He comes in. And listen, all the, the man immediately, everybody, oh, that's so-and-so in the community. Get up, let him sit. Get up, let him sit there. And then next, listen to this. He says a, a, a one outfit, one coat man comes in. You know what he is? He's a poor beggar with nothing but one coat. He's a single outfit. And he comes in. You know what they say? Hey, buddy. Hey, listen. Hurry and find you a place. Sit at the back back there. Or sit there at my footstool. Sit by my footstool here. You just hurry up and sit down and find you a place to sit. You ever see, you ever see places like that? It's who you are, what you wear, what you drive, where you live that determines how you treat it. Not here. Shouldn't be here. But I want you to listen. I want you to listen. You can go ahead and stand. It'll give you hope that it's getting ready to end. We do, the, we do a homeless meal. and We now call it a community meal. Where men like Willie, Willie Cox there goes out twice a week carrying soup and ministering to the homeless of this city. But at Thanksgiving and Christmas, we send out the word to churches and send out the word to our membership. And we say, listen, bring your best. Whatever you're good at. If you're good at a pecan pie, bring a pecan pie. Sheila, sweet potato casserole, hash brown casserole. I'm saying this because so, I know you're hungry. And, and you just bring it. And hey, listen, and then we run the vans and we go out and we start bringing homeless in and they're coming in. The gym, Belle and, 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 and her family and others have begun to lay out these tables with coats and jackets, underwear, socks, blue jeans, uh, uh, shirts and women have clothes and all of that. My favorite memory is Steve Harper, this big African-American. A woman had no underclothes and we had to send this big African-American named Steve Harper down to Dollar General to buy women's panties. And I would have given anything to have seen that. In fact, he came back and said, man, I've got to love Jesus to do this. 
But let me tell you what always happens. A true homeless man, he'll go through and he'll pick his outfit up. And usually they'll leave with a sack full, but he'll pick out an outfit. And when the day's over and, and it's all over with, I know what's going to be in the bathroom. Everybody listen. All the discarded clothing of homeless men and women who took that only outfit they had, they slept in it, they got up in it, they went to bed in it. It was all they had. It smelled. It had filth. Some of it had been soiled because they had bowel problems or whatever. It's been left there. And we go in there and start cleaning that up, picking those outfits up and putting them in the garbage. And they're walking out in a brand new, they've been showered, they're walking out in a brand new set of clothes. Now everybody listen. When you repent of your sin and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that we discard all those old garments. In fact, we just leave them in a pile there. All that old sin, all those old sinful garments, all those old habits, all those old behaviors, all those things that have been sapping and destroying our life, we just leave it there in a big old pile. And then at the same time, Jesus is standing there. And he says, son, these are my robes of righteousness. I want you to put this on. And one day, son, in my robes of righteousness, you're going to come to that moment when you're going to stand before the judgment. And when my father opens those books and looks, in that moment, son, you don't worry about it. Molly, one of our lawyers here, Ledge, Jesus is going to say, I'm going to be your attorney. And I'm going to represent you before the Father, the judge. But he's not going to see you. He's going to see me. He's not going to see your sin. He's not going to see your failure. He's not going to see your shortcomings. He's not going to see all the bad thoughts, all the things you've ever done. He's not going to see the time you stayed on that channel too long. He's not going to see that time when you were flirtatious and you knew that it was wrong. He's not going to see all the mistakes of your life in that moment. He's going to see the pure, clean robes of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to say, He's going to see me. And in that moment, He's going to say, Enter thou into a unbelievable kingdom absent from the body present with the Lord do you know him do you know him have you given your life to him in a moment we're going to have an invitation we give you that opportunity you can be saved today you can do what Mikey did you can be saved and baptized and give your life to Christ you can settle it now forever this day for the rest of your life March 19th 2023, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and I'm saved. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you don't know that today, I invite you to pray it with me. And it's a simple childlike prayer, prayer that just says, Jesus, come into my heart. We're going to pray that prayer. If you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, I, I'm a Christian, but I haven't been walking with the Lord like I need to. And maybe it's time to recommit that life. 
make a new beginning. He loves you. Hey, listen, he didn't move. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He's with you. You pray with me. Our Heavenly Fathers, we come today, Lord, first of all, I want to lead men and women, young people, who may be here that say, I don't know whether I'm saved or not, but today I want to settle it. So I pray that they would pray these words with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I've done things I'm ashamed of. But I know you love me. I know you died on the cross for me. You paid the penalty of my sin. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I ask you to come into my heart and right now to be my Lord and my Savior. I thank you, Jesus. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Look this way. If you prayed that prayer in your minute, you come forward. May never be a moment like this moment. I'll be here at the front. Ledge will be here. I've asked Russell. I'm going to ask Russell to be here. Sheila's here at the front. She can counsel with you if you're a woman. And you just say, I'd like to just sit down and have somebody pray with me. She's here as well. May never be a moment like this moment. You come. You come. God may never speak as clearly as he's speaking now. You come.